So welcome back to the Story of Software podcast. Today we're talking to Jacopo Toccacelli, who's Chief Operating Officer at ShippyBro. How are you doing today? Doing great. Very excited to be here. Fantastic. So we're going to talk about customer empathy and zero bug policies. So effectively, how can you promote better software by bringing a greater understanding of the needs of the client to the engineer that's building the technology? Um, by way of background, Jacopo is the COO at Shippy Pro, which is a company oriented to simplifying the way people ship, track, and return their e-commerce orders all over the world. And we're going to learn about your career history, about your journey, and uh, we'll get into that topic at hand as well. But perhaps to begin with, can you tell us about what led you to a career in technology? Uh, I think it started with my childhood. I've always been... Uh very driven by understanding how things are working behind the scene. Like any child, probably I started with Lego and breaking things apart, uh, recomposing them, following the structure, ignoring the instructions. At the same time, when every time I'm looking at an object, I'm trying to just decompose it and understanding how the different parts work together. That one eventually led me into choosing my university path. I did uh, engineering, computer engineering specifically, focused on the software side. And I think the, the background in engineering, they are like teaching you that. They are, they are trying so, so hard in different ways to just have the capacity to zoom in and zoom out. So when, when needed going very deep in the width, at the same time trying to elevate yourself and seeing the big picture. And I think it's something that I can relate in throughout all my career. Uh, having this ability to choose a different focus uh, depending on different situations. I think it's a skill that is absolutely a must for an engineer. Fantastic. You know, um, one of the things I've been learning about uh, in the past couple of years is the manner in which we actually physiologically evolve in response to challenges and that we code new proteins in our brain when faced with difficulties. And, you know, it's that journey of learning new things and overcoming obstacles that allow us to grow as professionals. So I'd like you to tell me a little bit about maybe some of the early challenges you've faced in your career that allowed you to advance and grow. Uh, I think there are many. Those challenges, they, I use this analogy, that they leave your mark. And because they leave your mark, you tend to remember the situation and trying to just tie to your experience and improve on those. So you always look back at that episode, that moment, which triggered that growth. I think at the beginning of the career as an individual contributor, inevitably you're going to face to deal with people with different backgrounds more experienced than you and i think it might sound naive but the communication it's extremely important making sure to listen to the feedback of other people don't take it personally and trying to just put yourself in their shoes so understanding their point of view how this is applicable to the context and the specific situation and tailor to what you should be doing on yourself to fix at the beginning, as an individual contributor, you're eager to learn, but you are sometimes maybe a little bit arrogant in a sense that you foresee a solution that might not be the best, right? And there is that moment of friction with people that are longer than you in the company or they have a different um, experience, maybe um, deeper experience in certain parts of the, the code base or the architecture. And I think it's extremely important for an individual contributor and engineer, but this is applicable, I think, to everyone. Be humble. Trying to just welcome any sort of feedback. Do not overreact immediately. 
trying to just really listen and maybe ask more and more questions until you get to the point where you take that feedback and you make it yours. And then you understand what to do with it. That's really interesting. You know, there's a lot of challenges that we face when we're earlier in our career, particularly if we've come from a university background where we did well, like if you did well in high school and college and you're used to being, you know, towards the top of your class and getting good grades and stuff. It doesn't always equip you with the necessary humility and modesty when you enter the workplace. And I think back to some of my kind of early roles in my career, and I think I was quite cocky and arrogant because, you know, I thought I was very smart. And uh, the data points from, from school and from university were that I was smart. But you get into a work environment and there's a degree of complexity around how things really work uh, outside of academia. And uh, you don't always have the greatest appreciation for that. And it takes sometimes a little bit of time for that to evolve. So that's been, uh, you know, an interesting learning for me personally. And I've seen it in people that I've worked with over my career as well, that there's a kind of a, there's a kind of a fake confidence at the start and that gets stripped away pretty quickly by the realities of the workplace. And then that's replaced by a real confidence. And that real confidence comes along with some humility and some modesty and an appreciation that to your point, you do have to listen a lot and you do have to ask questions. And um, yeah, that's a, that's a great part, I guess, of growing up and evolving as a person. Yeah, the way they see there are always cycles uh, in, throughout all our life. You explained very well the, the cycle of university, the learning phase. You might be the best, but the moment you start into a working environment, that's a new game and you're not ready for that game. So I think it's important for you to just start with the right intentions, but with humility like you said, right? because it's, you need to learn the rules of the new game before you are a true player of it. Absolutely. Um, I'd love to ask you about Chippy Pro. Uh, can you tell us about the company, the business model, maybe the evolution of the company in your time there and what you like about the business? Yeah, for sure. Uh, Shippy Pro was founded in 2016 on a real use case from our CEO, Francesco Borghi. Uh, his family runs a shop here in Florence, and they had the, the same struggle of many merchants, which is dealing with, with the shipments and the complexity of logistics. Dozens, thousands, hundreds of parcels that you need to ship, uh, sometimes domestically, sometimes overseas. And it's quite challenging to organize everything, get the best price out of it, and making sure that ultimately your customers are satisfied. Based on this intuition, he started like gathering feedback on the market, on the customers that he, he was approaching in early stages, and then ultimately he created this software, which I think our mission represents very concretely who we are. We want to help people work better, which is from the merchant side is simplifying the handling of their logistic needs. But this simplification, this automation, also reflects on their customers. Because if their customers are receiving notifications that are on time, they have transparency around delivery times, easier uh, process for returning uh, goods, I think ultimately this translates into much higher success for the merchant, which translates into success for us. So I think it's a, it's a circle that, depending on the different players, they all benefit from this. Uh, regarding the company, we, are, we have like an international uh, printing, uh, in a sense that even though we are located in Italy as headquarters, we have employees spread across Europe. We have seven different nationalities. I believe we speak currently eight different languages, which is phenomenal. 
Uh, we are currently 70 employees and we're growing. We closed a round of funding in 2021, funded by a firm in the state. And since then, we've been growing and tackling new markets uh, and new segments, and we'll be keeping uh, scaling from an internal point of view on organic, in terms of ad count, as well as, as the customer and the footprint that we have in Europe. Very cool. I've learned that you moved from a VP of engineering role to a chief operating officer role within the company. Those are two very different sets of responsibilities. What I imagine is that coming from an engineering background will give you a different perspective on how to approach the challenge of being a COO and perhaps allows you to consider the interests right across your organization because your responsibilities are for the whole company normally when you're a COO but you're coming from that engineering background. So that gives you the empathy towards the engineers, which I've seen in other tech companies. Sometimes the COO doesn't have that degree of empathy. So uh, how have you found that transition? Am I writing my speculation? <laughs> and uh, could you tell us about what that journey has been like for you? I think your speculation are, are on point. The engineering team is always the difficult team inside an organization because it, for other engineers, for technical people, very well understood what they do what they do, what is their responsibilities, how they operate, how they work. Externally, it seems like a little bit like black magic, which like you don't know what's going on inside there. You don't know what to expect and they just do their thing and then you see the result. I think it, the, the transition from a VP of engineering to a chief operating officer for sure has been challenging, pushed me outside my comfort zone. I've been managing the engineering team and product team for the past five years um, on startups and scale-ups. And I think it's a connection between the product team and the engineering team. It's something that is like a fundamental for the success of the company. Within this new role, I'm trying to just elevate myself and figuring out how to create a much larger empathy and sharing the, the different purposes and goals and responsibilities, specifically uh, with managing both engineering and product, as well as the customer experience which is definitely pushing outside what I'm used to it. I always seen as a consumer, let's say, especially from the customer support. The engineering team is always the second or the third layer. We do not talk with customers, but we handle escalation helping our customer support team. So being more in control and having like a deeper overview of their day-to-day -day created this stronger connection that I now have with their daily operation and understanding their struggle, their challenges, and trying to translate those needs into actionable items for the engineering and product team. Because ultimately, it's like then another circle, in a sense that if our first line of support, they are struggling serving customers, this reflects into the engineering team, because it, they are, they're gonna work harder and longer on resolving those problems, dedicating less time towards feature development. And ultimately, this reflects onto the business more time spent towards maintenance and bug fixing and resolving existing issues is you're losing this competitive advantage in the market and time to market for a startup is everything. So I think it's those three pillars, those three connections, you cannot ignore them. Like you need to hear those voices and you need to create empathy across your entire organization to highlight those problems and figuring out together how you can fix them. The engineering background, I think, is also quite important for a chief operating officer in a sense that I'm data maniac. I'm data-driven in everything I do. I need to check 
throughout data, the performance, the bottlenecks, understanding problems, challenges, because with data you can apply. There is less of that feeling and more of evidence, and then you can act and you can plan accordingly. Very cool. I'd love to find out whether your move to the COO role has somehow helped in terms of the technology strategy of the business, because you have that engineering background, you move to a COO role, suddenly you get all this additional context. Are you then able to influence the department where you used to be a leader towards maybe some changes on the basis of what you now understand and appreciate with all that additional context? For sure. I'm going to give you an example of uh, one experiment that we, we tried at the beginning of the year, and then it evolved in something that we originally did not plan. The problem was the customer support team was flooded with requests of our customers. Sometimes there were problems, sometimes there were just simple questions. The problem was, though, that because of those things escalated, then they were passing to the product team. The product team was trying to give a priority. Obviously, you have limited capacity, limited time, so you cannot work on everything. And the product team was trying to assess those requests, depending on the impact, depending on severity, depending on the type of customers. Obviously, you're trying to work out some sort of algorithm or function that makes you easier to make those decisions. This one ignored the fact that on the other end, there was a customer in pain and ignored the fact that there was first line of our support that had to respond to those customers without clear indication of when something was getting fixed. So we're trying to do this new escalation path, looking at the evidence and trying to create a direct line of communication from customer support straight to engineering. Obviously, this one was not for everything. The moment that the customer was asking us a new implementation, a new feature, a new customization, that was when we are adding the product team to evaluate those requests, to get a sense out of it, making sure they were coherent with our company direction and strategy. But for everything else, it was like maintenance or bug fixing. Having a direct line of communication removed this additional time that was spent in different teams. The engineer was getting alerted and they were working immediately on, on the task. This resolved an increment by 60 to 70% in time in, in terms of resolution to problems. Because of an engineer was empowered to work on this, on this problem as the, as the most important one, they were just focusing and getting it done and delivered to the customers. This translating to the customer support team that was responding to the customers, reporting that an issue was resolved and the customer was satisfied. Indirectly, this experiment created a zero bug policy. And we're looking at the data after an experiment of three, four months, where now we are closing more bugs than what we're receiving. So we're actually in net positive. This is phenomenal because over time, our goal is to reduce this amount of bugs to as close as possible to zero without leaving them anything pending, getting more capacity in the engineering team towards new features and new products. How do engineers in general feel about a zero bug policy? I was originally scared. I was freaking out in, inside because when I, when I promoted this new flow, this new process, I was putting myself in their shoes as I was an individual contributor. I do not want to get interrupted when I'm working. I would like to just focus on my task for as long as it takes to get it done. And I don't want to change priority constantly. Surprisingly, I think we did a good job communicating why this was important. And I think this is, was the fundamental. Like, Explaining to your team why you're trying to make a change, uh, what is your hypothesis, and what you're trying to solve with it, even though you might not be 
certain of the result of this experiment, I think create that empathy. And because of this empathy, the team was enthusiastic about this initiative. Actually, they could see their effort directly impacting our customers. Created empathy between customer support and engineering, making sure they were synced and they were working on the same problem. Created empathy between engineer and the, our end customers, creating empathy even there, understanding their pain point and solving them fast. It's very interesting that you touch on the importance of the why. So there's um, a book called Start With Why uh, by a writer called Simon Sinek. I really loved that book and I've, I've carried the message with me uh, ever since I read it, maybe four or five years ago. And it really advocates the importance of understanding why you're doing what you're doing as a company and then to be able to give that context to your stakeholders, be that employees, sometimes customers as well, and that in the absence of people understanding the why, human mind will go to some dark places. It's like, we're doing this annoying thing because management is stupid or you know, <laughs> nature abhors a vacuum. And it's not always the right context that ends up in people's minds when they don't understand why things are being done the way they are being done. Yeah, I think that context provision is so powerful and it's a great way to get buy-in. And you know, we had a, a meeting yesterday with our business and operations team. So maybe like 30 people on a call and the first thing we did was to go through the why that the leadership team of the company works in the company. Like, why are, why are we here? Why are, what's our kind of sense of mission? Why do we have the passion that we do for business that we have? And it's a very powerful thing to communicate that humanizes everyone. And it's also, I would hope, to a degree inspiring, uh, particularly if the sense of mission is a benevolent and good one. Um, but yeah, the absence of why, I think, is the source of so much uh, disgruntlement and upset within company. So I think it's very important that you touched on that particular topic. Moving on to another question. Is there any advice you would give to your younger self, given what you've learned over the course of your career? I think several. And those are things that I'm, I'm trying to remind not only to my younger self, but to my myself every day and those are keep listening do not jump on the first signal like trying to gather contact uh, try to gather opinions uh, among your team because most of the times your team can surprise you knowing that they, they already have the right answer they just need to be nudged and i think you as a leader it's it's your job to just empower them to get to that decision sometimes making mistakes sometimes pointing them to the right direction, but without telling them. And I think it's easier from time to time that you're jumping straight to the conclusion because you have experience, because you have already seen that problem. But I think it's important to just sit down, listen, take like a not a driver's seat for once and trying to just get their opinion. This one and probably the other one is never stop learning. This is something that might sound simple and obvious, especially in the engineering world, which we're, we're, technology is moving to a pace that has never been this fast. And I think it's important for an engineer to learn new technologies, to learn new framework, but I think it's important for everyone inside the company just to have that mindset of continuous challenge yourself to learn something that you might not be comfortable with, you might not be an expert on it, but I think it's creating a value to your persona and it's creating value to your day-to-day -day work. Yeah, I think if it's making you a bit uncomfortable, <laughs> it's probably what you need to be learning. Um, 
And actually, to that point, what would you recommend to our listeners in terms of books, podcasts, or other resources that you use to learn? I think three books are top of mind. First one is The Lean Startup. My career has been throughout uh, startups from very different scale. And I think The Lean Startup is giving you a framework, not necessarily something that you need to follow through, but a framework to understand the complexity and the challenge that a new business has that an, an existing and a mature business might not have. So it's important to just spread this across different parts of the organization, making sure that everyone is synced upon. Accelerate from a purely data-driven approach, engineering approach. I think it's important to just understand modern, high-performing technology organization, how they operate, and what are the, the metrics that are important to evaluate for making sure that your team is in the top industry standard. And lastly, as a manager, probably Radical Candor is one of the best books that is teaching you how to deal with different personalities, different performers. And as a manager, I think you need to have this psychology hat you need to wear from time to time. You need to make sure that you are not just obsessed with the business, but there are, you also need to be obsessed with the people behind because they are the driver of your success. I'm guessing from that title that the thesis of that book is that you should be very radically candid with people and very honest and direct in terms of communicating, I suppose, your understanding of the truth of the situation to people. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's a phenomenal book. It covers many different topics on how to deal with different circumstances, but also how to talk with people and how to get their best out of them, but in a way that is following their persona, their character, their objective, and making sure that as a leader, you understand those, because those can be triggers to get success out of them and success out of your team. Very cool. Yeah, Kopo, thank you so much for your time today. It's been a fantastic discussion. Very interesting. And uh, we really appreciate you uh, joining us. Thank you so much. Production was by Adnan Tuchar with support from Evan Sheehan and Albina Crasteva. We'll catch you next time on the Story of Software podcast.